Good morning, and welcome to your Friday Five, a weekly newscast from the Boston University News Service. It's Friday, May 8th. I'm Hannah Harn, podcast and production editor. And I'm Lillian Eden, assistant managing editor. Today, we'll take a look at our top stories from this week, including the challenges of teaching remotely, Asian carp in the Midwest, and some of the reopening protests in California's beach cities. Let's get started so you can start your day. Sherry Ritter has been teaching for 27 years. For 19, she has been a reading specialist, and like a lot of teachers around the world, she has been learning how to assist her students remotely. Teachers are learning how to fly in midair, she said. Her daughter, Olivia Ritter, explains what it's like for her mother to adjust to teaching from home. The element of small groups is lost in e-learning. Ritter's mother and several other reading specialists in her district have been tasked with creating lessons that can be used with their assigned grade level. In this setting, she's had to learn online tools like Screencastify, which allows users to film themselves, as well as Google Classroom, a place where teachers can edit and collect assignments and make announcements. According to the Wall Street Journal, over half of the schools in the United States have been closed due to coronavirus. Most schools in New Jersey have been closed for the rest of the year, while in other states, officials are holding out hope that students will be able to return to the classroom in the month of May. This story was reported by Olivia Ritter. To see the full story and gallery, visit bunewsservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode. When the order for residents to stay at home came on March 26th due to COVID-19, many non-essential businesses closed. Some places, including the Boston Public Library, had decided to close prior to the order from Governor Charlie Baker. On March 17th, the BPL announced all events would be canceled and all locations would shut their doors. Although there was a slight dip in average library card use in April of this year, it is still higher than the average card use in April 2018 and well above the average card use in April 2017. Lisa Pollock, the chief of communications, explained in an email to BU News Service that the daily card use numbers are based on unique daily use and do not correspond to how many cards have items checked out. If a member used the library's online database to check out material, their card would only count once for that day. The BPL also announced that late fines would be waived until June 30th and that they would not be accepting returned material. This may come as a relief to some. If an adult had checked out 10 books before the COVID-19 closure and the late fees hadn't been waived, that adult could be facing a fine of up to $50 if the maximum fine amount was reached. This story was reported by me, Lillian Eden, as part of our weekly Wonder Data Journalism project. To see our graphics for this story, visit bunewsservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode. Jam a pick into the fish's eye socket to get a firm grip, the fisherman told Andrew Reeves, instructing him on how to handle the day's catch. The Canadian journalist watched as they tossed a squirming Asian carp into the holding pen, a sight of fish scales and slime. Reeves had never fished. Even the idea of catch and release seemed cruel to him. Yet he took the pick, joining the workers on the Barrier Defense Asian Carp Removal Project, contracted to tackle the problem hidden in the Midwest's waters. Reeves traveled across ten states, interviewing and shadowing countless experts to get the truth behind Asian carp invasion. Sifting through his findings, he published a 384-page book, Overrun, Dispatches from the Asian Carp Crisis, in March 2019. In the 1970s, Asian carp, a group of fish species, were brought to North America to consume algae, reduce algal blooms, and act as a potential food source. Now, carp devour food and absorb living spaces, outcompeting native species, according to the USGS.
These invaders can grow up to five feet and be anywhere from 30 to 140 pounds, according to Reeves' book. Silver carp, a particular species of Asian carp, are prone to leaping out of the water in response to sudden sounds and pose a threat to boaters. Reeves has traveled throughout Canada and the U.S., connecting with readers from both countries. Becky Cudmore, a senior science advisor on aquatic invasive species for fisheries and oceans Canada, praised Reeves' ability to combine political, social, and economic aspects of the Asian carp invasion. While bighead and grass carp have been captured on rare occasions, Asian carp are not established in Canadian waters. The Canadian government is taking a proactive approach to keep Asian carp out of their waterways, Cudmore said. This story was reported by Michaela Heiss. Will Dempsey seems like just any other young man in the coffee shops and cafes in the Fenway area. But Dempsey isn't just one person. Not really. Most weekdays, he's a 27-year-old social worker from Long Island, New York. But when the sun sets on Boston, he becomes Ramona Mirage, the fabulous comedy drag queen. Dempsey discovered drag when he was getting his master's degree in social work at Fordham University. Since childhood, he's been interested in theater and performing. He's dabbled in community theater in graduate school, but it was too hard to manage, and ensemble roles weren't enough to satisfy him. With drag, Dempsey discovered he could be center stage and he could build his own schedule. Ramona Mirage was born. But drag isn't just a way for Dempsey to bathe in the warm glow of a spotlight and revel in laughter and applause. It's also a form of therapy. Through the hyper-femininity of drag, he's able to lean into the opposite side of the spectrum and be someone different from how he presents in his regular life. It's a freeing, cathartic form of self-expression that allows Dempsey to release himself from internalized homophobia and sexist mentalities. Ramona Mirage appears in a variety of nighttime drag shows here in Boston. Most recently, she sported her glitter and heels for the Boston Drag Gauntlet All-Stars at Club Cafe, an annual competition where Boston drag personalities come together to battle it out in the style of RuPaul's Drag Race. On February 22nd, Ramona hosted a drag queen story hour at Trident Booksellers with another Boston drag queen named Kirby Fully Loaded. Kirby was the reader that day, decked out in a magnificent platinum wig and silky lavender princess dress adorned with ruffles. She completed the look with bubblegum pink wedges and a statement piece necklace. But it isn't always fantasies and paper crowns at Drag Queen Story Hour. Catholic protesters showed up to say the rosary on the sidewalk outside a reading at the Boston Public Library branch in Jamaica Plain in early February. When these instances occur, Ramona is glad that she comes to the events out of drag. She talks to the protesters, asks them questions, and hears their side of things. She said that they're lucky, knock on wood, that the Boston protests have never gotten violent. Both parties are very receptive to one another's side. They exchange pamphlets, and Ramona fosters conversations about mental health. This story was reported on by Kendall Tamer. Last but not least, a look at protests plaguing the U.S. and one of California's many beach towns. As demonstrations protesting stay-at-home orders pop up across the country, residents of Seal Beach, California, gathered at the Seal Beach Pier on May 2nd to protest the closure of beaches in the state. Governor Gavin Newsom shut down beaches in Orange County after shores were packed with people looking to beat the heat. Many carried American flags as well as Don't Chart on Me banners. Some young protesters have their messages written on boogie boards, such as Gavin Don't Surf and Open the Beach, It's My Playground. 
Seal Beach resident Stephanie Wells protests the opening of a local golf country club, but not public beaches. Richard Zelke, who lives in Lakewood, California, wants lawmakers to make a decision on when to open the beaches and stick with it. They keep moving the goalposts, and uh, there's a lot more downside uh, to staying uh, locked down than there is from the, uh, this virus. He hopes the protest will push the government to make a decision. I just want everybody to uh, start pushing back against the big government and that this kind of uh, Tr that they can do whatever they think is uh, uh, and take whatever power they want. Even if they st say they're going to open up now, it'll take businesses a week, two weeks to start ordering all their supplies, bringing back their employees, and we're already six weeks into it. They should open up now. The pier is right next to a police station, and local law enforcement was present to ensure safety. Sergeant Nick Nicholas, spokesperson for the Seal Beach Police Department, says that they want people to express their views while staying safe. However, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of information out there, and a lot of people are are uh, expressing their opinions, and obviously those opinions differ. The police department and the city of Seal Beach are relying on science from uh, credible sources. We're following the governor's orders, the county health directives, the Office of Emergency Services directions, and we want to make sure that everyone um, is safe, especially in Seal Beach because approximately 40 percent of our population is over the age of 65, 65 or older, uh, and they're considered the high-risk category. While the protest remained peaceful, attendees did push past caution tape and move on to the beach. Seal Beach police followed on beach vehicles and returned demonstrators to the street. Protesters then took a walk down Main Street, flags, signs, and surfboards in tow. This story was reported by me, Hannah Harn. And that's it for your Friday Five. Thanks for tuning in. For the full versions of this week's stories, visit bunewsservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode. We'd like to thank today's contributing writers, Michaela Heiss, Kendall Tamer, Hannah Harn, Olivia Ritter, and me, Lillian Eden. We'd also like to thank our production team. This week's episode of Friday Five was produced by Hannah Harn. Normally, this is when I'd ask you to tune in to our next episode of Between the Bylines, but this is our last cast of the semester, so instead of tuning in next week, you'll be turning in next fall. Sabrina Schnurr, managing editor, and I are graduating and are so grateful for our time with Buns, so we'd like to say one last goodbye. I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who has been so flexible with me and how I've done the podcasting this semester and has given me so much freedom and how I decided to kind of rebrand them. And just being with Buns for the past year and a half has been such an awesome experience. And I'm so grateful that I've had the chance to meet so many wonderful people and work with so many amazing editors. Being an editor was kind of a new experience for me. And so getting to have that experience in such a welcoming and encouraging environment is something that I'm incredibly grateful for and that I don't know if I would have had elsewhere. I could not have asked for a better way to end my time would be you. So thank you so much and I know the next team will take really good care of you and all your Boston news needs. So have a great summer everybody and stay healthy and you know let's keep that curve flattened. Hi, I'm Sabrina, and this is the last week that I can say that I'm the managing editor for Buns. I just wanted to thank all of our contributors for all they did this semester, uh, for all the work you put in, your writing, your reporting, your investigating, your data, everything that you did uh, to make our website what it was this semester. I wanted to give a big thank you to my tireless editors who just work nonstop to make sure that our content is amazing. They edit the stories that our contributors put out or file to them. 
um, just to a stellar standpoint, um, and they accept nothing but the best uh, for what goes on our website, and I just can't thank them enough for all they do to produce the best content possible for Buns. I'm so proud to have been the managing editor this semester. I'm so proud to have been with Buns for two and a half years of my four years in college, um, and I can't thank our faculty advisor, Michelle Johnson, as well as Ann Donahue, who was our faculty advisor for a while um, while I was news editor, um, and I just can't say thank you enough to anyone who helped contribute, um, helped cover anything from Hub Week to the New Hampshire primaries to an election with us to a marathon with us. Um, just thank you for so much um, of what you did to make our website and to make us a award-winning news site. Um, thank you so much, and I can't wait to read more of your content next semester.